and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest is week's actor, Peter Callahan. Now, Peter is probably best known for portraying the original Lloyd Braun on Seinfeld in the Non-Fat Yogurt episode. He talks about getting the role, just experiences on the set, working with Jerry Stiller and Estelle Harris. And he talks about why he wasn't in the other episodes that featured Lloyd Braun. That went to actor Matt McCoy. It's a reason I really didn't think about until uh, Peter brought it up. And speaking of that topic, Peter, native of Canada. So in the mid-90s, he returned to Canada to work. And he has worked a ton. Murdoch Mysteries, as well as 18 to Life. One of my new favorite shows that is you know, over 25 years old now. It's called The Newsroom. Not the Aaron Sorkin one from HBO, but it's really funny. Go check it out. It's on YouTube. It's also get DVD copies of it as well. Um, we talk about his uh, first movie called Screwballs, which is basically a Canadian version of Porky's. And if you remember the Jeanette Goldstein episode that we had, she mentions the term fuck you money. Uh, Peter talks about which movie he did to get the fuck you money, so to speak. Uh, Peter, really nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. A pleasure. Good to be here. Yeah. So, I, I love Canada. Can you see me through the smoke? Oh, yeah. I know, right? I can put a mask on. Um, it leads me perfectly to the first. I, you know, I love Canada. You know, the great imports of music and beer and, you know, great, you know, TV and the arts and whatnot. But not so much these wildfires that you guys are uh, importing up to us. I'm sure it's quite bad for you uh, up there as well as us down here. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we have uh, we have a lot of warnings going around. People are supposed to wear masks outside. So, yeah, COVID carries on, but in a in a smoky form. Yeah, I mean, I work in New York City and it's like I'm off today, but it's like Armageddon down there. It's just orange. Looks like we're on Mars. It's awful. It's really bad. Everyone just stay safe and, you know, wear a mask again. So that's like, guess yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a completely different topic. I was on Twitter the <laughs> yesterday and i found this uh, interesting poll i don't know if you've seen it it's who is the most handsome canadian actor 2023 so 2023 2023 so can you guess who number one is someone you've worked with yannick bison yep he had 25 percent of the so okay i would agree with that Yeah. yeah uh joshua jackson who you know was on fringe and um uh, Dawson's Creek, other stuff came in second. Uh, yeah. Ryan Ryanan, I don't know who that is. No, hi Ryanan. Okay, um, Evan Martin Williams. No, okay, uh, Nathan Fillin, Fillin, who's been on Firefly. Yeah, 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 he's in uh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy right now. Ryan Gosling in there somewhere. Who's that? Ryan Gosling, he is. Uh, actually, no, he's not the other Ryan. Ryan Reynolds is on there. And that brings me to you. You actually are more handsome than Ryan Reynolds. You made the list. <laughs> yeah, at 2.4%. So congrats. And you even beat Keanu Reeves as well. So Of course you did. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that. He said, yeah, you should beat me. Yeah, so you should be starring in John Wick 5, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Starting next week. All right, awesome. Yeah, so I can't wait to see you, you know, kick some ass in that. Yeah, I just yeah. have to pump up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly and, and lose about 10 years yeah. anyways i'll be fine okay look, but you look great so that's all that matters very, very put, handsome. Your, put your glasses on yeah 
Don't worry, I got a face for podcasting, so it, it works out nicely. Um, yeah, so we'll get into you know Seinfeld and some of the other stuff, but like, what drew you to acting? How did you get the acting bug? Gosh, it was a long time ago. When I was in high school, I wanted very badly to be a pilot, and um, my dad worked in aviation, and he uh, had, there was a little uh, flying school at the company that he worked for, and I got my license when I was sixteen. And um, I was on my way to be a pilot and um, found out that you needed all this math, chemistry, and physics to do that. And uh, I looked at my marks after high school, and it was math, chemistry, physics, D, E, and F, and uh, English and drama, A and A+. So as I say, I put two and two together, got five, and became an actor. Yeah. At least, you know, you're in the top five in those other grades, if you want to look at it that way. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things where I was an incredibly shy guy, a kid, and you'll probably hear this story quite often from actors that um, when you're shy, you, the, the, the ability to go on stage or to act with somebody else's words protects you as a person. So you get out there and you, you act as if you're not you. And so, you know, and in high school, it started to I started doing that and uh, girls seemed to like it. So I thought, yeah, I wouldn't mind going this way. Yeah, it's either acting or being in a band, right? Tracks girls. Or so. being in a band, yeah. yeah. I thought it was going to be a really good-looking pilot uniform, but it didn't That too, that. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess you chose the other pilots, right? Pilot season, or rather, actually, than being a pilot. Well, yeah. there you go. Good one, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, being on stage, you, you know, you've been, like, you know, live theater and stuff like that. So what do you prefer, live theater compared to being in a movie or TV? Or do you, like having no net as opposed to you know, multiple tapes. Oh, yeah. I, I much prefer uh, television and film. I, I much prefer that medium because uh, theater for me is it, it, in some ways very frustrating that you you get it right uh, and 200 people, 500 people see it. You get it right in television and, you know, thousands or millions of people see it. And I, and, uh, I never liked repetition. I think um, Anthony Hopkins and myself are that way too, that he just, to, to do it over the same thing over and over and over again. And being a bit of a perfectionist, I've always hated the days when, you know, I've done a lot of theater and continue to do a lot of theater, but I've never liked the fact that some days are not as good as others. Right. And if that happens, I, I, it just frustrates the heck out of me. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, when you, when you do it, um, when you do television and film, um, like I said, you, you end up working so that what comes uh, out as the final product edited together or not uh, is much more satisfying to me. Now, the other hybrid of that, of course, is the fact that some television is done in front of live audiences and it's not my favorite either. Um, You know, when I was in California doing Seinfeld and Cheers and Murphy Brown and stuff, it was always in front of a live audience. And I, I didn't, it just didn't work for me. I know, especially the live, um, you know, stand-up comedians really thrive on it, but I'm kind of the opposite of that. I'm, I'm not. I, I don't have that gene. I, 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 I like working for, uh, working in the moment and not being um, hypersensitive to the fact that you're doing it for 200 people. That if they don't like it right at, at the outset, you got to do it again, and they may not like it as much. And it just it seems like a, a bit of a rabbit hole for me. So. Um, I did a show for years called the Red Green Show, and it was always done uh, remotely. It, you know, I played a, a forest ranger that was in the middle of nowhere, and right. I always love 
just me, Steve Smith, the, the guy that played Red Green, and myself just going out in the middle of nowhere and 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 playing with a cameraman, as opposed to when we went into the studio and they built a treehouse in the studio and there was 200 people there and you know we had to make sure that we did it for them and you know the immediacy is nice, but again. I, I like being able to just say, no, I didn't like that. Let's do it again. You know? Yeah. I don't think I've ever asked this. I've done almost 300 of these. I don't think I've ever asked anybody this question. When you're on stage, have you ever been like distracted by an audience member or like kind of focused in on one or can you block that out? Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first thing that came to mind is my wife and I were doing a play a couple of years ago and it happened that her father a uh, very famous actor who passed away recently, Gordon Pinsett was in the audience and he was in his eighties at the time and, and was wearing a, um, a hearing device, you know, that in theaters, they sometimes give you a little yeah. hearing aid, you know, headphones that you can right. hear it better. And uh, we foolishly um, equipped him with a bag of potato chips <laughs> <laughs> and we were, we're doing the play and uh, in a fairly important quiet moment of the play there's this crunching crunching and crunching and a bag rippling and all the noise and it was close and we thought i was i was this close from stopping the play and saying you know we'll wait for the person to finish with the chips and then we'll carry on yeah thank god i didn't because it was gordon right (laughs) but absolutely yeah i mean it, it happens all the time and you know you can you could use it or you could it could work against you and you know if it if it's certainly if it's laughter it, it can you can use it big time if it's gasps and sobs obviously if they're into it but if it's if it's extraneous stuff like telephones and cell phones and you know people talking or whispering or or i did a, a kind of an off-color play a couple of years ago called fully committed with a lot of swear words in it and hmm. every time we had you know a, a group of senior citizens we'd get an awful lot of right and that just drove me to distraction. Yeah. Just, yeah. Right. Yeah. There was a Seinfeld episode where his agent uh, told Jerry they flew, I think, to Ithaca for a stand-up show he had that hit the pilot of the plane was in the audience. And that's all I can focus on was that and the completely bombed. And then he, the, a pilot wouldn't let him on the plane. He got kicked off the plane because the show was yeah. so bad. So I just thought that was, that was, that was pretty funny. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. How did you um, end up coming down to uh, L.A.? Well, you know, I mean, it's a a story that has been going on for decades. You know, L.A., California, Hollywood is is the um, gold standard. It's the it's the Olympics of of the business, the acting business and the television and film business. So, you know, everybody with any kind of hopes, dreams, aspirations and guts usually ends up coming in some fashion um uh, there was a um uh, a scheme at the time called an h1 visa it was a um, an ins program that allowed you to come down to the united states and work uh if you could prove to a government bureaucrat that you had extraordinary merit in your own country so you would you would end up you know sending them photographs of your awards and clippings from newspapers and whatever it was and then they would allow you to work down there for two years and um, then you would have to renew after two years, making sure that, you know, you filed your taxes and did everything properly. Um, and shortly after I left or uh, it, it, just as I was leaving, they were 
I think the unions were, the American unions were complaining that so many foreigners were coming in and taking their jobs, even though we did the whole Taft-Hartley thing, proving that, you know, we were the only ones and American couldn't do this job, et cetera. Right. Um, but they, they started to petition the government to stop it. And so the government put in little roadblocks to prevent you for, in different small ways of, uh, of coming down there. In other words, they changed it from, uh, you being able to work for any studio, you could work for Disney, you could work for Paramount, you could work for Warner Brothers when I was doing it in the 90s to uh, job specific. So in other words, if you get hired by Disney to do this for the two years that they allowed you to be there, you could only work for Disney. You couldn't work for anybody else. And also they did another thing which which prevented me from doing the second Seinfeld, which was that they... Um, put a two week processing time in it and television rarely works beyond two weeks in, in episodics right. so that, you know, they, the casting director called and said, we bringing your character back. And I got very excited about that. And, um, uh, and then I found out that through my immigration lawyer, who was the best guy down there. And I found that out because he told me that as soon as I called him, he just got off the phone with Castle Rock asking about this Canadian actor to go right. down to do it. So I knew he was the guy and he said, there's just no way around that. You just, you just have to, you know, they, they can't, if they can't move the show beyond two weeks, but there's no way you can get this visa in time. So there it was. I, I was, uh, I was, you know, one of the rest of my life that I couldn't do that second episode. Yeah. I, I always wondered why they recast you. I thought maybe you just didn't want to do, it, or they want to go a different direction or they, no, and, because and it was so nuts, you know, they just, yeah, the actor, I, was sure. I was doing everything. I, 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 at the time it was fax machines and I was faxing the prime minister's office and the <laughs> INS and this and that. And I was, you know, I got to get down there. I got to be able to legally do this job. Um, but there was just no way around it. And, um, the casting director and the people with, with the production, Larry David was very kind because they, on the morning that they were looking to replace my character, yeah. uh, or the day before the casting call, they called me to say, could you do it? And I said, I just can't, it just can't be done. And so they recast, uh, Matt McCoy. Yeah. Now, did you ever think about coming down just illegally to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I, Yes, but no, because as I told them, I said, you know, they would, you know, when they invited me to come back down, they, I, you know, they said, are you able to get down here? And I said, yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm going to need a visa because mine had expired. Okay. Never imagining that Castle Rock would ever have a problem with that. If I didn't say that, right. if I just came down and did the job and then got the visa. And then once the paperwork was done two weeks later, it would have been fine. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're Canadians. We're honest. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's honesty. Stupid, but Stupid honest. Stupid, but honest. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows you have morals. So I guess that's, that, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it was what it was. And, you know, I came back. I, I, I loved working in Los Angeles. I loved, you know, when I, when I was working. But when I wasn't working, I had uh, two, both of my children were born down there. And. Uh, I just couldn't stand the lifestyle, the um, sort of paranoid desperation around the business and the, you know, the earthquakes and the fires and the riots and the floods and the metal detectors at elementary schools. I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And um, so I came back to Canada and, you know, it's been incredibly busy. It's, it's been twice the work and half the money, but, uh, right. you know, the, the, the life 
is you know it's it's, it's better up here i mean it's it's yeah. it, it really is it's it's there's there's less pressure there's there's more respect that's a smaller industry it's a you know, where you have to jump over 150 guys to get the job on Cheers, you only have to jump over 15 guys to get the job here. So. Right. Yeah. And we'll get to some of the roles in Canada, which I, I absolutely love. But what, did you, like, with Seinfeld, how, how was the auditioning process? Was there anybody famous that you went up against to to get the role of a boy? Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if this, if I've got the exact right timeline, but... Um, 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 oh, his, his name's gone. Uh, Breaking Bad. Oh, uh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Yeah. Uh, while I was down there, he was kind of in, in the same kind of situation. I think we're very similar age, and he he would uh, we'd inevitably show up at similar auditions all the time. Right. And I don't remember if Seinfeld was one of them, but it was always me and him, and we'd end up sitting across the room looking at each other and saying, ah, you were me, you were me with this one. Yeah. He ended up playing the dentist or something on Seinfeld. Yeah, and I Tim Wadley. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you know. Did, did that happen after uh, Non-Fat Yogurt or before? I think his first episode, I think, was before. Was it? I think it was, yeah. Okay. Well, he was one of the guys. Right. The other the other people in the room, I, I'm sure there were people there. Uh, John Hamm was was the guy that was kicking okay. around at the time. Um, but it went, you know, the room was 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 daunting, but you know, because you know, in the room was a couple of the writers, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, and and you know, there you were, and do it. And uh, it was the kind of thing, you know, when you know, when you learn the lines of a of a of an audition very quickly, you know, you're very right for it. Right. So I learned this one particularly quickly, <laughs> and I, I knew from the reaction in the room that I thought, yeah, okay, this is this is going to happen, and and sure enough, it did, and. Um, and 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 very gracious, you know. I mean, they were, on set they were always very very welcoming because it, it's it's a very common story that when you know television shows that have an attitude about them that they that they you know that there's a certain hierarchy and if you're the new guy and you're not very welcome, they're going to get what they deserve, which is somebody that's a little bit intimidated, not doing their f full potential to catch up to the race that they're already running very quickly and well but um exactly the opposite with a show that that's really strong because they know they're only as good as their weakest link which is the new guy and the guest on the store on the show so they they welcome you and it's you know what do you have any ideas for this and they laugh with you and you know it's, it's, it's camaraderie and you just immediately want to do more and better and you want to risk they want to they want i want to make them look good as well so um yeah uh and uh, so the the um the uh, w within that within any production that as i say that with any production that that wants uh, a, a new person to ski that it, it's always the best policy to be able to embrace them but the the real genius the gold of all of the successful shows like cheers with james burroughs and right Einfell with Larry David, the the autonomy is right there on set. The ones that always struggle for me is the one without the auteur. You know, it's the, it's any show I've ever done that's been very successful always has one person that the buck stops with, and they create the way they're going to create, and they're left alone by 
the hierarchy, the the suits, the 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 bureaucrats, the business people, the you know the TV execs. Um, if they're smart enough to leave, if if they're asking them to paint the picture, then they're smart enough to let them alone to choose the colors and the palette that they're going to paint in. It's inevitably better, and it's it's the case with David Chase and the shows I've done up here and everything that I've ever done. The the, the more condense the uh, hierarchy on set at the time without any kind of concern about having to prove a better joke to a better, to another executive is inevitably going to be better, work better. Right. And I guess at both those shows, they were like, well, Cheers was a juggernaut by the time you, you came on and Seinfeld was just, just at that point, you know, g- getting to where it was. So I'm sure, you know, why the executive is going to tinker with something that is uh so great yeah, well, I, I, you would think so they would they stay away so yeah and and you know but the, at the same time if when they were starting out when they were fledgling show they didn't they still didn't have that much interference by the network from what i understand you know right. they knew they knew they were hiring somebody and it was to the network's um um credit and i think it was might have been branded tartikoff at the time but um he trusted the artists that he hired you know he 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 believed that you know he I'm hiring you to do this. I trust you. Do it. If it doesn't work out, fine. Yeah. I'll I'll handle the I'll handle the money and the and the network. You do the you do the creative. Right. Because I think Cheers was like bottom of the rankings the first the first year, and Seinfeld was not what it was. You know, seasons yeah. three and on. It was luck. Luckily, it didn't get canceled because those yeah. first, you know first season and a half was like the show may not last. Uh, it's a show about nothing exactly and they, did a show, they did a show about that which is genius yeah uh, absolutely and I, I heard that the cheers set was a lot different than the seinfeld set yes and no i mean again it was it was um james burroughs that was uh executive producer he was he directed the episodes both of the episodes i did um but again you know uh, ted danson incredibly funny friendly guy very down to earth no bs you know they always come up to you and put put his arm around you at the craft table say how's it going blah 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 um um and and uh, similar kinds of things but there was some odd things happening i guess with kelsey Grammer and it postponed some rehearsals because of issues he was having and um uh who was it i think it was kirstie alley i think at the time i might have been mixed i might be mixing this up with julia louise Dreyfus. one of them was was breastfeeding at the time so we had some issues with that right but uh uh i think it might yeah, have been julia Dreyfus. it might have been yeah <laughs> yeah all just all very very nice people and again you know they, they know that they have to welcome you because they want you to um they want you to soar you know yeah um, but no, no real problems. The, the the worst experience I had was doing a pilot called Baby Talk. You might remember that show. Yeah. It in uh, George Clooney, I think, did it for a year, and uh, it was a producer named Ed Weinberger who created. Might have been Mary Tyler Moore show. I can't remember exactly, but it was a it was a real nightmare doing that. Uh, the show, I mean, I it was for my money, but it end, ended up going to air. It was unwatchable for me. But I was uh, I replaced an actor who was playing my role, which was the father of the baby that the lead actress 
was trying to get to be involved with the with the father. I turned out to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. She dismisses me. Yeah. Anyway, the original cast was me, Connie Selica, George Clooney, um, uh, Bill Hickey from uh, Pritzi's Honor. Remember that? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And Ed Weinberger. And uh, oh, the screaming and the yelling from from Ed Weinberger. It just wasn't working. He just couldn't make it work. And uh, and then the show. <laughs> The, the sh- we do the pilot and it is what it is and uh, the next year I get fired Selica gets fired the producer, writer, director Ed Weinberg gets fired uh, George Clooney stays on and I think Bill Hickey stays on and I think they do a year but then the cast keeps changing and it was right. just it, it was an absolute dog's dinner of the show that, that I think was probably one of the worst experiences I had down there oh wow <laughs> That's great. Now, I remember on a particularly bad day, and Ed Weinberger was screaming at everybody, "Just why aren't you making this work? You're not making it work." And I thought, of, you know, you know, when you take over for somebody, and after the pilot is shot, they actually shot yeah. this pilot, and then they the network hated it, so they had to reshoot it. So Ed said, "You know, I'm going to change the guy. The guy's with it. so he brings me in, and it still wasn't working. So obviously, it had nothing to do with the cast. It had to do something right. with the script." Yeah. Uh, but he was—he just laid into everybody. He was just so mean, and I'm standing in the bathroom, just sort of trying to get my head back together. And Clooney is at the urinal beside me, and he looks over and he says, Are "You okay?" <laughs> I said, "I guess, yeah. I guess I have to be, George. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, don't worry about it. All bark, no bite." Right. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but uh... very, nice, very, very down to earth guy. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. Now, I heard um, speaking of Tom Turner, Jason Alexander was probably the nicest on the set for Seinfeld. Right? Yeah, Jason yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, he had uh, he was always the guy that would you know he would always have a joke. He'd always come up and be chummy, and you know it was it was a real pleasure. Most of most of my experiences down there were a real pleasure. You know, it's, it was it was always the life around things, and and yeah. the and the fact that something did go or didn't go in the politics and you know pulling into uh, some major studio might have been paramount and for doing a um a pilot and you know you've got a, a parking stone with your name on it and i thought okay well this this is it hmm. and then um the day after we shot the pilot i had to come back to do a voiceover or something <laughs> my parking thing was being painted over by oh. some guy <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's, it's um it's cruel but it's uh it is what it is you know Right. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that's that's too bad. Now, yeah. Were, yeah, were you able to watch the episodes um, that Matt McCoy portrayed Lloyd Brown? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, is it Serenity Now? Is that it? No. Yeah, Serenity Now. It is. Yeah. 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 And then he ended up working with uh, Frank and selling computers too. That was a Serenity Now episode, but he was also the yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I probably resisted watching too much of it because I was still very depressed about it. Yeah. I should catch up with it at some point. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's on every channel and here in the States. I think the weather show oh, shows reruns yeah. on every channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Daily. Yeah. Now, so uh, what was like working with Jerry uh, uh, Stiller and Estelle Harris? Because you had some scenes with them. So funny. So funny. 
I had this thing and I don't, I think they cut it out of the show, but you know, um, you know, because they were allowing me to, to play, I said, you know, how about when I come in to really rub it in to, to meet the family? Right. I got this great suit and coat on. I said, how about I bring her a bunch of flowers and still get his character a bunch of flowers? And, and she just goes crazy over the flowers. And we do a couple of takes of that. I don't know why they didn't use it, but uh, um, uh, Jerry, uh, they're both fabulous, fabulous actors. But Jerry, Jerry had some hard times with some lines. He had uh, <laughs> he had to do a few takes, right? And it was fine, you know, because we killed ourselves laughing when he would when he would dry, you know. We would, yeah, yeah. You're talking about a long time ago here, so no, I know. A, yeah, the, the memory is big. right. No, I know. And then uh, I guess the secondary plot was uh, Jerry uh, Seinfeld dealing with a kid who was cursing. <laughs> God, he couldn't get that done. When when that kid, are we allowed to swear on this thing? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so when when the kid says thanks for ruining my dad's business, you fat fuck. Yeah. And this little kid, this is face with a big, you know, angry little face, and Jerry just could not do it. And and when he went, we all started to go, and and it took that one took a, a bunch of takes to get that done. Sure. Yeah. It was killer. It was just killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was that was really good uh yeah so one of my favorite episodes is that that was great on fat yogurt now i i discovered the show probably maybe a year ago and because not knowing that you were in it i just happened to fall in on youtube uh the newsroom yeah your, your version of the newsroom not the hbo version um which you have a little bit of live run in you and in, in, in that and i think that happened right after you filmed your episode right seinfeld right that was after uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say you're right i came back from i moved back to toronto uh from los angeles in 95 and i think the newsroom was right around that late mid late 90s um it was a, a, a fabulous script by a guy that uh, uh ken finkelman was his name he wrote um uh, airplane two and i think he wrote some madonna movie yeah he did i think Grease two also <laughs> something yeah, yeah. Anyway, he had this show and it was about a newsroom, you know, and um, my character was very, very vacuous, but very posed with a great voice and great hair and Jim Walcott. And and all, and, yeah, Jim Walcott. And he, he he had all the mannerisms, which he practiced vociferously to, to, to make sure that he held the coffee mug up and looked in the right direction in the right way with pithy questions and answers and um had an absolute blast had a very very hard time keeping it together many many times we just we just started laughing so hard that eventually either me or ken would have to get out of frame and i would look at a spot on the wall so i wouldn't have to look into his eyes and then he would look at a spot on the wall and i would do my lines off still we would yeah we wouldn't have to look at each other so we wouldn't laugh but a lot of fun and we, a lot of kudos for it i think it won an international emmy i think time magazine called it one of the best 10 shows of the year. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a very, 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 it, it actually kicked off a big part of my career in, in this country. Yeah, no, it's, I, I love it. It's great. Cause I, I work, I work in TV news you know, yeah. background. So um, yeah. So you watch that and you kind of, you know, laugh and some of it's, you know, based on, you know, obviously true stuff and some it's like a little obviously far fetched, but yeah. But oh yeah. 
Well, we, we were actually invited. It's the CBC, which is the equivalent of BBC or your right. NBC. So the, the cast was invited to go to the actual newsroom at the CBC. And so they invited us in because they were very flattered. Well, we're doing the show about the news and here's the anchorman and here's the intern and here's the director. And we yeah. just sort of were fly on the wall watching. But then after the first six episodes there, we were persona non grata. We were not allowed. I'm sure. And we were here in the newsroom. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we were prepared a lot to... Um, uh, again, my mind. Uh, Larry Sanders. Um, oh yeah, um, Gary Shantley. Gary Shantley. Yeah, yeah. That, that that kind of breaking out of reality and and uh, you know the on the on screen stuff and there's the off screen stuff. And, but uh, for the most part, I think we we got nothing but really really glowing reviews, except of course for the conservatives, the you know, or in your case, the Republicans who took right. exception to. We were swearing and yeah, of course, <laughs> a bit more liberal than um, than, than, than than their public broadcaster they thought should be. Yeah, but then I liked after the first season you did the special where you decided to run for office, which which was absolutely brilliant and the way you flip flopped. You know, oh thanks, I'm glad you watched it. Yeah, yeah, I was, know that when the new newsroom people get it mixed up. You yeah. you were in the right. Oh, so not that one, and the one that was before. Um. I was talking to Ken and he said that um, that um, Aaron Sorkin actually asked him if he could use the name because he couldn't use the name, the newsroom, because it had been used on a TV show. Right. And um, that's what I knew was definitely over because Ken said, yeah, take yeah. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and yeah. he was a very, very smart guy, but hated writing. And he was he got bored very, very quickly. And uh as soon as that thing was over, which which was which gave him carte blanche within the this uh, our network here, yeah. So he did whatever he wanted after that, um, on the strength of what happened with the newsroom, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give away what happened, you know, because even though it's over twenty five years years old, but it's it's on YouTube. I think there's DVDs for it as well. So yeah, check it out. It's it's, it's laugh out funny. It still holds up. And Aaron Sark, even before the newsroom, he did a show called Sports Night which dealt with kind of like a sports network. It, it, not as funny as the newsroom, your, your version, but it was supposed to be you know, a comedy as well. and had really good. Action. Yeah. I know. I've so, never seen that. Okay. Yeah. It, it lasted, I think two, three seasons. It was, it was before you did West wing and cool. all that stuff. Yeah. It's really good. But yeah, yeah like you, you've done so many other shows in Canada. How come you never were on Da Vinci's inquest? Good question. I don't know. Okay. I do know that, um, the uh, Da Vinci's Inquest was shot on the opposite side of the country in, in oh, Vancouver, okay. and I live in Toronto. Right. Okay. So the the Canadian actors that did end up going out to do a Da Vinci's were, you know, Victor Gerber and yeah. Paul Gross, and you know, people that they really needed or wanted or were friends with. Uh, you know, um, oh gosh, uh, who was the producer anyway? Um, but generally speaking, you know, they, they they picked from a stable of actors that are from that were local. OK, yeah, because I, I, that show is syndicated here for, for a little bit. And I absolutely you know, fell in love with the show. So it was, yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. And Nick Campbell is a friend of mine. He's very, very good. OK, yeah, he was great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I guess you can say like that and maybe Murdoch Mysteries is what Law and Order is to U.S., Right, I mean, because every like Canadian well, Murdoch, you know, we're getting a we're getting a Law and Order Toronto. Do you hear that? Oh, really? 
Yeah, it's starting, it's starting up in a couple of months. We, we've got uh, Law & Order uh, Toronto Criminal Intent or something. Okay. So it's a drama that's starting up in a few months. Casting has yet to be announced, but I, I don't know anything about anything yet. But that would be, that would be lovely. I'm sure. Uh, Murdoch, <laughs> Mysteries, Murdoch Mysteries is, is a, a different thing, though. It's right. a, it's it's kind of a Canadian Sherlock Holmes, yeah, and very very family viewing, you know. And it's turn of the century, so it's a it's a period piece, and it's a very comfortable show that people either really love, and when they really love it, they really yeah. love it. But we've had open houses on on set where people have flown in from France and Japan and Germany and England. And, um, so yeah, people people are really rabid about that show, and a lot of fun to do. I've been doing it now for 16, 17 years. Uh, my character started out as, as a kind of a, well, he's, he's Canada's first spy, you know? So it's, you know, right. he's the first member of, you know, like your CIA or something. That, um, and, and brings in a lot of the international intrigue into this local, very sort of provincial um, cop station, which, Obviously, if you've seen it, it has fantastical storylines where yeah. I, I get stuck in a rocket and I, I shit, shipped off to Borneo and I land in Borneo mm -hmm. and live with the Kahoot tribe for four years. And then I come back the next year dressed as a as a as a shaman. And oh, my gosh, it was so fun, though. So fun. And we're just about to start up again. My wife is actually in plays my wife in the show. Oh, great. Leah yeah, Leah Pinson. So she's she's back this year doing a second episode. She turns out to be a German spy uh -oh. and she's sent off to jail the last time in our last episode. So she's coming back. It's going to be interesting to see where, where we fit in or how we, uh, how we connect again. Yeah. Are you guys like, okay. Do you separate work from like personal stuff when you guys get home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's, that's falling off a rock for us. You know, we've been doing it for so long. It's just yeah. all that stuff stays, you know, on set. You know, there's not, you know, you're, you when you come home and, you know, when you when you have that much intense work over sometimes 14, 15 hours, you know, you're you're you come home and you're buzzed and you're you know, if, if your partner hasn't been through the same experience, it's 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 a different sort of thing. You know, they're probably asleep and you're just trying to have a glass of wine and calm down. But um, for the most part, we've been doing it for so long. It's it's second nature on how how we have to leave that stuff outside and, and, um, and keep what we have in our relationship is sacred and special as possible. Right. We've been barren now for 23 years. So oh, great. we've, we've been doing it a while. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, I'm 22 next month also. So <laughs> congrats. All that. Yeah. yeah. How long do you give it? <laughs> Till I'm six feet under. I'll put it that way. There you go. Okay. Yeah. That's your only way out, huh? Exactly. I'm sure she'll kill me now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have, like, sleep apnea. So, like, she basically, you know, was going to murder me. It's like, you better go to the doctor before I put a pillow over your face. And sure enough, I got one of those machines now. So I'm miserable, but I don't snore anymore. So she sleeps like a baby. <laughs> Perfect. It's all that matters. You know, it's all that matters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll yeah. save a marriage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, Murdoch Mysteries, it... it syndicates down here every week so i'm able to watch yeah it's it. called the artful detective or something down there yeah it's now that they switched it it's now it's murdoch mysteries down here as well oh is it yeah oh okay. 
I yeah. didn't know that. Good. Because yeah. I, I wouldn't even know what it was. It Is was, it on eight or something? Uh, it's it's actually on uh, the ABC affiliate in New York. Like um, one is like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning on Saturday or Sunday or something like that. But it's on. Okay. Uh, cool. Watch, yeah, everyone check it out. It's, it's it's really good. But I gotta ask you about the first movie you did, Screwballs. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was Canada's version of Porky's. No, well, it was. I mean, <laughs> after Porky's success, so many teenage exploitation copycats came out, and that was one of them made for. 15 how much was it made for is like made for fifty thousand dollars or something and it was all bankrolled by uh roger corman do you remember of course, yeah very well yeah <laughs> so he was b-movie king and he had this uh this guy named um maurice smith uh was a mentee of his and he he threw this money by um maurice smith's way roger did and uh, made this very very awful i think it's basically unwatchable but it was one of the very first films i've ever i it was the first film i ever did yeah and uh or had any kind of substantial role in and it was all non-union and very cheap and very exploitive and it was it was not the best experience of my life but it's something that had to be done and right fortunately it lives on in perpetuity and people well either love it or hate it i don't know many people that love it but anyway right it's out there yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i had a, an actress on recently and she did a movie which she thinks was terrible as well but she called it fuck you money yeah yeah have you have you done any of those besides screwballs i'm sure you can get paid anything for that but like any of the movies that you made cheaper by the cheaper by the dozen too okay yeah uh steve martin um uh was that yeah, Bob well, Hunt, right? <laughs> yeah well it, it was i had such a I had no idea why they wanted me for this part, but they kept mm-hmm. pursuing me. And, and it probably on the strength of a lot of, I don't know, somebody in the production knew who I was. I don't yeah. anyway. But, uh, you know, the director said to me, he says, okay, Peter, you're playing a uh, guy who uh, rents them out the cottage. And it's almost like you're, uh, I don't know, you're like a, a Wilfred Brimley guy with a, with a little lantern and, uh, and then you go on, you, you you rent them the cottage. Anyways, good luck. And that was that was the extent <laughs> of what I knew about the thing. And I had no idea what right. the heck I wanted. And there was there was money in that thing. My gosh, off of the back of the of the uh, of the of the success of the first one, it was right. you know you showed up on set and there had to have been fifty trailers and trucks and they rented a town and they built houses and they um steve martin and and gene levy and uh, bonnie hunt i think it was bonnie hunt yeah all the main characters anyway had uh, body doubles exact body doubles so whenever mm-hmm. there was anything that they didn't need to be partaking in including cast shots for you know the family photos and things yeah. none of the lead actors would have to be there it was always the body double and then they would superimpose yeah. the faces on on the in the shot with Steve and everybody else, but uh, you know, a fun experience. Steve was very gracious. Uh, always had his banjo handy between takes, mm, and right. <laughs> uh, we were in a beautiful area, cottage country, just north of Toronto. Uh, both my kids were fairly small, eight and ten years old at the time, and they desperately wanted to get into acting. So I thought, okay, uh, let's fix them. <laughs> 
so I got them apart as extras on the movie and then, okay. you know, the egg on the spoon race or the three-legged race or whatever it was. And they spent, you know, a good 12 hours in the sweltering heat, you know, well hydrated and, you know, yeah. fans and awnings and everything. But, right. well, they were well taken care of. But And then they got their $200 and came into my trailer at the end and said, no, Dad, this is, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. So I thought, yes. Did my job. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. But uh, I, Peter, this was, I really appreciate your time today. This was, this was fantastic. Just catching up. My pleasure. Your, Thanks, your, your stuff. Um, well, one more question uh, I got for, for Seinfeld. Now they had, which, which was surprising. actually did it. It was featuring New York. They had the mayoral race with Dinkins and Giuliani where yep. no one really knew either one of those people at that point and they didn't we all know giuliani now unfortunately but um did they um because that was right when they were doing the race did they do shoot like two different endings before that just in case yeah exactly so what happened uh i think seinfeld at that point was airing on a thursday night yeah and i think the the election was on a wednesday if I'm not mistaken. And I think we shot both episodes, both versions. So if Dinkins won, I was the one that got Giuliani to lose. And if Giuliani won, I was the one that got Dinkins to lose. I was either of their assistant. Okay. So they shot both. We shot both right. versions where I was this or that. Okay. And both candidates, Dinkins and Giuliani, agreed that on the morning after the election, they would tape that 30 seconds of him saying, we're going to do away with this scourge of non-fat yogurt. Yeah. And so they, you know, to their credit, they could do it. They, you know, they had them, you know, before there was a lot of really, you know, internet talk, IT. And so they, they videotaped him somewhere in New York. And uh, because we, this, the show was shot in LA. Right. They had, they had it into the show and the show aired that night. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, Peter, thank you. Keep up the good work. Uh, hopefully we'll see you long, uh, long order, uh, Toronto. That'd be nice. Yeah. Your, your mouth to God's ears. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks. Noel. And a special thanks to Peter for joining me today. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the person all one nine. Or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes and check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, basically. Or if you can find a podcast, a new episode comes in every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.